Welcome to Whole Complete Self Podcast, where we teach people how to live a joyful life. We are so happy that you came to join us today. Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Candace Miller, and I am your host. We have Elaine Quinn here with us today. And again, for the second time, I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for being here, Elaine. Oh, thanks, Candace. I'm excited too. Yeah. So Elaine, tell us just a little, you know, I know we did have a podcast um, before, but tell us a little more about yourself. And I know you just had, you published your book. Tell us a little more about that and what's changed since we've talked to you last. Yeah. Since we talked last, my book has been published. It's entitled It's Time Living a Full and Joyful Life with Depression and Anxiety. And I've written this book to, to help others, Candace. I I've suffered with depression for most of my life. I was diagnosed 30 years ago with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. And um, they're, they're pretty devastating illnesses and they're real and, and you, need, you need help and support. And it's important for people to know they're not alone in this. And so I really wanted a friend. I read tons of books and talked to lots of doctors and and found my answers over the years, but I really wanted somebody who understood it to talk to. And that's what, that's what kind of prompted me to write this book, to be a friend to others and to let them know what I've learned and the beautiful life lessons I've learned from going through it. So that's really what my book's about is, is what I've learned and how I've um, overcome these illnesses. I, I haven't been cured. I still have depression and anxiety that I live with, but I live a very joyful and well life and, and, um, you know, have a slow day here and there, but I've just learned so much that I just wanted to share it with others through this book. Yeah. And I really do love that because I think it's very vulnerable to talk about your own mental illness. Um, but one of the things I love about your book is that you've had so much experience, right? And so, you know, you weren't one of those people that just went to the doctor for the first time and got the right medication and just felt good. I mean, you yeah. have, have trial yeah. and error and many, many, many things that taught you so much that other people can learn from. Um, right, right. And, and medication was a huge help to me, but it was kind of like a springboard for me to be able to do other things. Medication really saved my life, but it also wasn't my full answer. And so, yeah, it helped me to be motivated, a little bit more motivated and have a little bit more energy, a little bit more focus to do some things that I could do to help myself. Mm-hmm. So Lane, tell us a little bit about the difference between somebody who, I mean, everybody kind of feels the feeling of depression every once in a while, you know, someone might feel it seasonally, right. or there's a situational depression with a breakup or, um, you know, a tragedy or whatever. What is the difference in your mind between situational or chemical or something like a lifelong depression diagnosis? Oh, that's a really good question, Candace. And quite often they affect each other. So sometimes it's hard to tell the difference for sure. Um, but there is, but depression is a real illness, a real biological illness, just like diabetes. A lot of doctors compare it to diabetes and say, you know, it's a real illness. Our, your brain, like any other organ of the body can become diseased. And when it does, it affects your whole body. Um, it affects your thinking, your thoughts, how you feel about things, and hence it affects your actions and your behavior and really influences your entire life. So it's so important to reach out for help and not suffer in silence because it can affect 
everything in your life and the people you live with. And it's a very devastating illness. And I can talk about that. Um, Peter Kramer said, um, depression is a disease of extraordinary magnitude. One of the most devastating de diseases human beings can suffer. And Peter Kramer is a psychiatrist and the author of a book called Against Depression. So I always tell people to start with compassion when they talk about depression, but, but people do experience depression without having the illness. There's some really tough things in today's world. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of discouragement and which can cause depressed feelings. Now with the illness depression, quite often people have an emptiness. They have kind of like a lack of feeling. Um, I think with situational depression, people feel they are more maybe mournful or sad or distraught. Um, sometimes they, they go into the grief cycle, which depression is part of the grief cycle. And so I don't want to minimize situational depression because it can be very severe also. Um, yet it usually they can usually point to something in their life that's causing it and they can start to work through that. And eventually it might um, it might work, you know, it might take care of itself. You don't have to go on medication and therapy and all this because it um, resolves itself after time and after working through it. But sometimes it doesn't. And um, situational depressions can trigger depressive illness and depressive illness can make a situational depression worse. So they really can affect each other. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And, and sometimes it doesn't matter if there's a difference. If you have had some symptoms of depression for two, two or more symptoms of depression for two or more weeks, you should seek, seek out medical help. Mm. So you don't have to self-diagnose. You can, you can reach out for help and your doctor can help you work through that. I always start with my primary care doctor who I trust and move on to um, specialists in the field, like a psychiatrist. So yeah, reach out for help. I always tell people don't suffer in silence. A lot of people, there's a misunderstanding right now that um, you're strong if you don't take medication, you're strong if you don't reach, you know, if you don't need doctors or therapists. And um, that's, a, that's a false notion. Real strength comes from reaching out. It takes a lot of courage to reach out for help. And so I always I always tell people, oh, don't white knuckle it, don't suffer in silence, but reach out for help and find wellness and find, you know, the happiness that you deserve. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. And you know, what's so interesting. Um, you know, I'm around a lot of people that are really aware of mental illness and they, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and, and so I was really surprised because I, I actually gave a talk in my church a couple of weeks ago and I shared that, um, something about my mental illness being a trial and I tied it back into the talk and, and how, um, it actually has helped me be stronger and all of these things. And I had a few people reach out to me that I could tell had really didn't had no knowledge of mental illness or maybe had like a biased opinion against it. Or, you know, I had somebody reach out to me, um, that suggested if I just tried these vitamins that it would go away. And, and not that I was upset, you know, I know that those people were just trying their best, but maybe it's what worked for them. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I did realize there still is kind of this, um, ignorance about it. And there also is this fear about, you know, there, there's the stigma and the fear about right. the medication itself. So, so what yeah. do you think about that? Like, what would you say? To well, yeah. 
Great question. Um, you know, depression draws you into the darkness and you withdraw and darkness makes it secretive and secrets make shame. And, um, you know, we just have to bring it out into the light, like what you're doing, talking about it, talking about it. Anytime you bring light to shame, shame disappears. Um, Renee Brown talks a lot about shame and she's right. You know, shame is is hurtful and it keeps us from growing and progressing and keeps us in the dark and keeps us sad but to bring light about it by talking about it i'm so grateful you're doing this interview and to educate people that you know it really is a real illness and that we um you know suffering in silence is so destructive to ourselves and to those we love and so um yeah and and fear is is it you know is part of shame um you just have to have that be courageous to reach out to a, if you don't you know if you don't want to talk to your doctor maybe you can reach out to a friend or a, a family member who would be understanding and tell them you know I've got these symptoms. One thing I tell people to do is to go online and Google the Beck inventories, B E C K, the Beck depression inventory. That can help you if you answer those questions. That can help you determine you know that how depressed you are and, and how severe it may be. And there's also an Beck anxiety inventory. Those are great tools that you can do on your own and then maybe take those to a doctor and say, I'm just not doing well. And these are some of my symptoms. It's validating to talk to a doctor because your symptoms will be similar with other people's symptoms. And it makes you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm not going crazy. It's not me. It's not my fault. That's another thing is so many people, you know, they think, oh, because it has to do with your, your feelings you think, oh, it's my fault. And then you start feeling guilty. And, you know, then you, it's just a vicious cycle that, that, that leaves you nowhere. Mm -hmm. But if you can have just that courage to reach out to anybody and ask for help, and then take steps to find medical um, and professional help with therapists, um, and, and get good books. I've, that's why I wrote this book. Um, and I always tell people, it, my, the title of my book is so long, I just tell people to to Google my name under Amazon, Elaine with the middle initial H, like at home and then Quinn. Um, you can find it that way, but there's a lot of good books out there that can help people and, and to learn and to understand, to be validated and to give hope. That's what I tell friends, validate their pain, validate their symptoms and give them hope. Because when you're depressed, you have no hope. You're hopeless. You're sad. You're, you, you feel worthless and you don't even feel like you're worthy. Mm -hmm. of feeling well and so it's good to have a friend that will be like no you are worthy of wellness you there's hope I tell people no matter <clears throat> how sick they've been or how long they've been sick or or how um, serious that you know how difficult and the serious illness they have um, that healing is possible yeah so reach out yeah and I love that about your book I mean I know like really your whole purpose in this book is to help people is to make meaning out of your suffering. And I just think that's so beautiful because, you know, it is, it is, it can be so confusing and you've really taken years and years and years of your own journey and condensed it into this book of so many great tips. And one of the tips that I, I really like that you just said was, is to take that, like a questionnaire, that vet questionnaire uh -huh. um, you know, I'm a life coach and a lot of people will come to me and they'll just say, you know, I'm really unhappy and I don't know what's wrong. 
And it's so funny. I'll screen them and it's, it's, it's crazy how many times they pop up positive for some sort of mental illness. Uh Um, It just, their symptoms just really match a mental illness. And I'll say, you know, did you notice that you have, you know, symptoms of anxiety or depression or, you know, something else. And, and what I do, because I'm not a therapist and I'm not a doctor, but what I do is I help them get their symptoms together. I help them go to the internet and I have them research and really identify exactly what they're feeling with the diagnosis I take it to the doctor because one of the things I've noticed is sometimes doctors have a hard time. When we go in, we just tell a story, right? Uh We have like this big story of everything that's happened to us. And they're like trying to pick up on all of the different (laughs) things that would fit the diagnosis. And I just, I I tell them, you know, go do a questionnaire and, and bring it to them, you know, answer their questions, whatever questions they have, but then say to them, here are my symptoms. And it helps so much to get a proper diagnosis and the proper medication. Hopefully fast forward. That's such good advice, Candice. Yes. And I always tell people when you fill out these questionnaires, think about the last two weeks and how you felt. Because sometimes, you, you know, even when you're really depressed, you might have a good day and you're kind of going, ah, I feel pretty good. And you're, you fill out the questionnaire according to how you're feeling at the moment. And then the next day you might kind of crash and, and you would fill out the, the questionnaire as, crash and just horrible answers you know so you try and think about how you felt generally over the last two weeks when you're filling out those questionnaires and that helps it to be more accurate I also encourage people to journal even if it's just a couple sentences every day or every other day or a word or two here and there because all these tools can help your doctor give you a more accurate diagnosis and maybe even invite a friend to go with you to the doctors and they can help Um, also explain their viewpoint. And that's also helpful. Well, I just want people to know they're not alone. It's a real illness. And that, um, you know, the opposite, I always tell people the opposite, I don't know if I already said this, the opposite of depression is not happiness, it's wellness. And so we just need to focus on becoming well, and then we can be who we are. That's my whole point in my book too, is to become your best self. And to know who you are. And there's, I have a lot of different strategies in my book talking about how to know who you are and to become your best self. So, um, yeah, I, I always th- say start with compassion. You know, this is a tough illness and you need to be compassionate to yourself and you need to be compassionate to others who have this illness and to understand that it's real, that people are not doing this to themselves, that they are really suffering. I I, I tell people depression is painful, disabling, and life-threatening. And to think of it any other way is a far-reaching mistake. So Elaine, I have a question for you. You know, just in my own research, um, I've learned that with mental illness, it takes a triggering event to kind of onset the illness. You might have small symptoms before, but to have like a major mental illness, there's normally some sort of stressful event. Do you remember your life before you had this diagnosis? And about what time did you feel it really kick in? You know, when I was eight years old, I had panic attacks at night. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking I was going to die. And I start pounding my chest and praying, praying, praying that I wouldn't die. And I'd walk around the room and try and calm myself. And um, I, I didn't understand what it was. And I didn't have the words to explain it. So I didn't even tell my parents about it. And I just remember thinking, maybe I'm afraid of death. Maybe I was trying to self-analyze myself as a young child. And then that eventually kind of went away and went into more of just low-grade depression. And I just kind of thought it was who I was. You know, that's just kind of 
my personality to be a little bit with low grade depression, but it was really going off to college that kind of triggered it. And I really had a serious depression when I was in college. I remember thinking, oh, it's because I'm homesick. Oh, it's because I'm stressed with my classes. I I really wanted to assign it a reason that made sense because that way I wasn't crazy, you know? And so I tried so hard to assign it to different reasons, but I couldn't come up with anything and it just got worse. And I did a lot of praying. I did a lot of running. I did a lot of hoping, but not a lot of telling people. And I look back at that and I feel compassion for that person. And I wish I had been educated, but this, I was in college in the 1980s. And so there just wasn't anybody talking about depression and anxiety. And so I I felt like I really suffered in silence when I didn't need to. Did you feel like it got better and then it got worse again? Because I think I remember you saying when you had all your five kids is when it really got, really got seriously bad. So, yeah, it's, it did. It kind of, it kind of was episodic at first. So when I was, my first year in college was really bad. My second year, I felt better. And my third year, I felt better after I was married. I felt better. I had three little girls. And by the time I was, um, it was in 1991, I was 29 years old when um, it hit again. And I am not sure um, I'd had a miscarriage, but I don't know if that was a trigger or not, but it could have been, but I just kind of, I felt like it came out of the blue, but it hit me really hard right between the eyes, you know, just smacks you right in the face and takes you down. Um, And that's when I finally could not even get out of bed. And I would cry in the shower where no one would hear me. I just was, you know, guilt became my middle name because I, I felt like it was my fault somehow. And that if I could just try harder, I could just try harder. I could get myself feeling better and, you know, I could just pull myself up by those bootstraps and I could be strong. And, and um, I had all those feelings and I just could not get better. I could not function. And um, I was so, (laughs) you know, um, we, we give promises to many things, but pain we obey. And it was the pain that sent me to the doctor. Mm. I just, you know, could get away from this horrible pain and this deep darkness and I I couldn't go on so I I, I, I had to have help so if, if you were to rate your pain your mental pain or your, your your illness during that time you know 10 being the worst what would you say that was oh I remember laying in bed one morning and thinking if my house was on fire I don't think I could get out of bed and I you know it's probably close to 10 I was so distraught I I talk about being in my closet and the pain was so great that I escaped into my closet to try and find relief. And I would hit my head against the closet wall in a desperate attempt to distract myself from the the pain I was in. I was trying to do anything I could to not feel that pain. And, you know, that's, this brings up another good point, Candace, is when people are in pain, that deep of pain, you have one thing on your mind, and that is, how do I find relief? And, you know, I, people are tempted to self-medicate with overeating or oversleeping or drugs or alcohol or work, workaholic, whatever, whatever it is that they, their, their favorite choice of self-medicating would be self-medicating is always dangerous and always hurtful. And so that's why you have to reach out to professionals for help. So you can find, you know, safe and healthy ways to treat the pain. 
And the other thing too, is, um, what I learned, you know, in my own mental illness, when I was in a tremendous amount of pain, I learned a lot about suicide because what I realized was that the brain's, um, designed to keep the body out of pain. Yes. Yes. And it's also designed to survive. That's like, it's two main instincts, right? Absolutely. What's so interesting is when those two things are like dichotomies, (laughs) when they don't match mesh together, because you're in so much pain that the brain will scan throughout the body constantly. Like, where's this coming from? Uh I don't know about you, but I felt like the brain had an inability to accept that, that the pain was coming from itself. Right. When I finally figured that out and I could say to myself, this pain is just coming from the brain. It's coming from nowhere else, but the brain, I would get these fantasies or this suicidal ideations of, okay, well then if it's just my brain, then turn it off, whatever you have to do, turn it off, get rid of the pain, no matter what. And, And I think that's such a merciful thing to understand about people that, that feel suicidal or have committed suicide yes. is that yes. literally like the brain I remember having pictures pop into my mind of ways that God. I can do it yeah. the same thing happened to me Candace suicide suicide ideation which is thinking about suicide is v- extremely common with people who have depression and anxiety and you have intrusive thoughts about how you could die I am such a proponent of making suicide a safe topic. If you have a loved one who is depressed, go to them and say, I'm concerned. And I understand that suicide, you know, ideation is part of depression. And if you're in this much pain, let's talk. And to say suicide with confidence, don't say, oh, you suicidal, you know, because then they feel like that's not a safe subject. I can't talk about it. But if you say, this is a safe subject with me, we can talk about it. A lot of people think, oh, if I mention suicide, then they'll think about it. But believe me, they've already thought about it. And to mention it, it can be life-saving. You can talk to them about how sad you would be if that were to happen. You can give them the suicide hotline to put into their phone. You can talk to the doctor about making a safe plan about suicide prevention. So there's a lot we can do to try and prevent suicide. And again, be compassionate. Let's be compassionate with ourselves. Let's be compassionate with each other. And realize that that this is a real thing and they're not, they're not, you know, pretending or faking it or trying to get attention that this is something that is their brain is doing to find relief from pain. Mm-hmm. And um, so yes, yeah, so we need to make suicide a safe subject, Candace, and I'm glad you brought it up. I wanted to say something else about the brain. Our brain is pretty incredible organ. And when we um, when we're depressed, we have our brain's in slow motion for whatever reason the chemicals are not there to making it you know a normal typical brain activity and so we're in slow motion and slow motion makes our thoughts become very negative it takes energy to be positive it takes energy to be creative you know you know when you talk when you hear a um, a comedian and the comedian's just telling dirty jokes and stuff you know that they're not very creative. Their, their brain's in slow motion. But, but a, a comedian that's very creative and telling funny jokes that are clever, they're, they're using a lot more brain power. And I always tell people, yeah, when you're depressed, your brain is in slow motion. And because of that, your brain 
just thinks negative thoughts. And, and I talk about in my book, a lot of ways of fighting the negative thoughts and therapists can really help you with negative thinking and help you become more, um, not only positive, but more accurate, you know, in your, and in, in who you are and what you're thinking. But if you have a real negative thought, your brain is like, do, 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 do. I can find evidence in your life that this is true, you know, because your brain's trying to support what you're thinking and you will always find what you're looking for. So if you're just negative, 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 your brain's going to start scanning your world for how can we support that negative thought? So it's so important to get therapy and learn strategies to overcome the negative thinking and to be more accurate and have a more positive and more hopeful perspective in our lives and more accurate of who we really are. We're good people and we need to have these positive thoughts. And then our brain starts to go, oh, okay, well, I can find evidence that this is true, that you are a good person. And so it's just really interesting. Our brain does so much to protect us and we have to help our brain by, you know, learning strategies and skills that can help us to overcome those, that negative thinking. Yeah, I agree. You know, speaking of negative thinking, I know during times when I've been really depressed, it's it, the negative thinking has really placed a burden on my relationships, which is, it, which is a challenge because, you know, anytime you're in pain, connection will help reduce that pain connection yes. with other people. Oh, connection. So important connection with yourself, connection with others, connection with God, connection with nature. Those areas of connecting are so important to good mental health and they all interrelate. If you work on one of them, the other ones enhance. But you're right, when you are very negative, not only, excuse me, when you're very depressed and sick and anxious, um, you're very negative. And not only are you negative, but sometimes you're irritable and you're withdrawn. And it's hard to live with somebody who's irritable and withdrawn and negative. And so sometimes, you know, people will be impatient with people who are depressed because it's not fun to live with them. And again, if they can just be compassionate and say, you know what, you're not feeling well, this is not like you. Let's get some help and let's, you know, let, let's get you back to feeling well. And then, then you're yourself again, but yeah, it's um, you do need that connection with other people. I know when I first feel depressed, I feel very lonely, even when I'm around people who love me. And again, I do the withdrawal and, and I have to force myself to get out my, um, my toolbox is what I call it. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that in my book and, and look through my toolbox for different strategies I can use that will remind me of things I can do to help myself. And my brain is not helping myself by thinking of things itself. I, I have reminders that can help me use some of the strategies I've learned through therapy and doctors and reading and yeah. Um, the other thing is I know with anxiety and depression, there's a lot of over-exaggerated thinking, right? Like you, things become much bigger or you worry much more that bad things are going to happen, or you might project. Uh -huh. How do you know personally when you are in that type of thinking, do you know how to ground yourself or how to bring yourself back to reality? Yeah. You know, with depression, you ruminate about the past and with anxiety, you worry about the future and, and it's always excessive. It seems like whenever I can tell, like, I'm just, I'm just excessively thinking about one thought or kind of taking it, you know, I, my therapist called, you're building a house around it. Do you have a negative thought? And now you're building a house around it. You know, um, I just know that, okay, this is not like me. And um, I wrote down a paper one time that was really helpful. My doctor said, you know, what are you like when you're well? What are, you know, like if we're, we're going to get you well, what are some indicators that we're getting close? 
So I wrote down when I am well, dot, dot, dot. And I put when I'm well, I feel more confident. When I'm well, I am kinder. When I am well, I can make um, dinner without struggling. You know, so I, I would write down, a, I had a list of maybe 20 things that showed that when I was well, this is who I am. And I wrote down the goodness I have that I can share and, and my talents. And, and so when I am not well, I can look at that list and I go, yeah, I'm not even close to this. And this is, I need to get back on the event, you know, back doing my, the things that help me to, to, to be well. And I, like I said, I'm just so grateful for doctors and therapists and my medication and, and good books and good podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts now that help me. And like, like, like here you're doing an interview right now, there's so many things out there that can help support you and help you to live in wellness and really find joy in life. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Elaine, because, you know, we went to the same church together for a while and I just have to paint a picture of Elaine for just a second. She's absolutely beautiful. You know, she's got this cute little blonde haired Bob. She's got an amazing husband who's successful, beautiful home, five children who all look like they're doing well. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they're experiencing life as well. Do you know that sometimes it's hard to, do you think people project this perfection onto you? How do you get over that stigma of like, oh, Elaine's perfect. She's, you know, she's, she doesn't have depression. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I grew up with a wonderful mother who um, was an author and lecturer and talked about home management and a lot of things. And um, I remember thinking, oh, just to live up to her, I've got to have a perfect home and I've got to have a perfect life. And, and I was definitely um, a perfectionist and I had a therapist help me. So I call myself now a recovering perfectionist because we all have trials in our life and we all have hardships and we all have shortcomings and idiosyncrasies in our personalities and stuff. And I have found that the more I accept my flaws, the more I can enjoy my, my goodness. And so, um, but yeah, I did have to have a therapist point out that I was a perfectionist and um, yeah, it just, I just don't. I, I belong to myself. I don't care what other people think anymore. And it took me a long time to get there. And um, I hope people will like me. I, I want to be liked and I want to be kind and good to others. But if somebody's critical and in fact, you know, putting my book out there, I had to tell the truth about my illness and it made me very vulnerable. There's some stories that very, very nervous about publishing and, um, but I just know if I didn't tell the truth, it wouldn't help anybody. You have to be vulnerable. You have to tell the truth and you have to be real. And so I told my real stories and I, I just, I'm just going to be true to myself and be who I am. And it, that includes my, my flaws. <laughs> and I love how vulnerable you were in your book. And I hope all of the listeners that choose to to listen to it today. I'll put a link on there <clears throat> so they can, so they can go and look at it, but it, it really is so vulnerable. And one of the reasons why I like it is so many times you read these books from, you know, maybe a therapist or a psychiatrist and it's very technical, but one of the things I love about your book, it is, it is all your experience. I would say what 20, 30 years of experience more. Uh, yeah. I was diagnosed 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so raw and it's so vulnerable. And it's just from this place of like, 
oh, I'm not alone. And this lady's been through it and this is what's helped her. And I feel like, you know, just having my own mental illness, I feel like the things that you suggest in that book are so helpful. Well, the things that worked for me, and there's some things that maybe look good on paper, but just didn't work for me. So I just, I just shared simple ideas that worked for me, but I do have to say that I am not perfect in doing everything. Like I say, oh, I'm a journal writer. Well, I don't write in my journal every night. And I go through periods of my life when I don't write in my journal. So I, it's not like if you read the book and you're like, oh, she's, she writes in her journal every day. That's not true. And I tell people, even my clumsy efforts to help myself have made a big difference for good. You know, I, I, I say, oh, I'm going to try this strategy of, you know, giving myself, um, you know, four minutes to do an activity. And I can do something in four minutes where I, I couldn't think of it in a larger amount of time. So I could do this. And I talk about um, using the magic of numbers in my book. And, um, but you know what, I, I just do it when I can. There's some days when I can't do that. And, and there's other strategies I have that I just do my best. And again, my clumsy efforts can make a big difference for good. So you just do what you can to, do, to get better. And those little things are, are good. Yeah, um, I have another question for you because I know that mental illness is very genetic and I know that my, some of my kids have it as well. Mm -hmm. um, do you have kids that have it and how have you been able to help them? I do have kids that have it and it's broken my heart that, you know, I've <laughs> passed on this gene yet again, you know, everybody has something in life. If it's not depression, it could be financial hardship. It could be another type of illness. It could be a relationship hardship. It could be, oh, there's just trials of all sorts and kinds, right? And everybody has something in life. And I just feel like, you know what, if we take that something we have and look at it as a challenge and overcome, I've turned to God in my life. I pray, I read scriptures, I have faith that God will show me the way to find good doctors or whatever it is I need. And I just feel like it is not despite our trials in life, but because of them, that we become the person we're supposed to be. We become somebody who learns to love and grow and, and care and be compassionate. And so I, I, I don't look at trials now as a terrible thing. I look at them as this is a challenge and God wants to help us. God wants to be in the details of our lives and through prayer and through meditation and through effort. I would say God loves effort. You know, just get up. And if you can't go walk, uh, go for a walk, then walk in circles. And that, you know, God can't steer apart cars. So just move. I, I, I always say um, movement is medicine. And I talk about how important movement is in my book. And I just say, you know, even if you just start moving your fingers or start moving your neck and, and stretching different, different muscles in your body and then get up and walk in circles, just movement can help you so much. And so, yeah, anyway, that's, uh, that's some of the, the advice I give people. Yeah, I love that. And I'm actually designing a program right now about peace and purpose. And one of the things is taking those trials that we do have and turning them into our purpose. I yeah. Mean, our, 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 our hard experiences really can help us to help other people and we can find great joy in that. Um, yes. The other question I had for you is, do you live daily with hope? Like, yes, I, I have found, you know, attributes like showing gratitude, 
brings joy. Feeling hope brings joy. And hope isn't the cross your fingers. I hope it works out kind of hope. Hope is a sure knowledge that, that God is there to bless our lives. I live with hope. I live with gratitude. I live with compassion. And those, those are the qualities that really make a difference. And would you say that's really the transformation to when you were feeling ill to how, where you are now, that, that that is what people can look forward to if they're willing to put in the work, to see a therapist, to go see a doctor, or, you know, if yeah. they're feeling mentally ill, that you can have that hope, you can get better. Yes. Oh, there's so much hope. You can get better. There's so much out there that, that people are doctors and therapists and, and um, other professionals are working to find answers there's a lot of depression in today's world and there's many people looking for answers to help other people. And you start asking the universe and, and God for, for help and you're gonna find your answers. So there's so much hope and you can feel gratitude today. You don't have to wait till you feel better. I, I did a little gratitude journal when I was really sick and I just had to find one thing during the day that I was grateful for or like a miracle of the day journal. There's miracles all around us if we just look for them. And so start today with gratitude and hope and um, compassion, and it will, it will take you a long ways. Yeah, I love that. Well, Elaine, what else would you like to share with us today before we start wrapping up? Oh, gosh, I have so many things I would love to share with you. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to share a few things. You know, depression is a real illness with real answers. And I just want people to become who they are and to be their best self and to share their goodness in the world. And as we share our goodness, other people share their goodness. And it's just a beautiful thing. I love what um, Elizabeth Kuber Ross said. She said, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people don't just happen. And I believe that you and I and everyone listening are beautiful people, and we have things in our life that we need to learn and grow from, and it makes us a stronger, better, for, better and more beautiful person. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. And, and again, like I've said, thank you so much for your vulnerability. I know it's so helpful for people and, you know, it's one of those things that's a ripple effect where I don't even know if you can see the people that you're helping. I've gotten some feedback and it's been really nice. And I'm so grateful that people are enjoying the book and finding it engaging and finding it helpful. And, you know, another reason I wrote it for was for my daughters that I could help them. And, and they're strong, beautiful women who are doing well. And um, yes, there's just so much hope. And Kenneth, I so appreciate all the work you're doing with your podcast. I've listened to quite a few episodes and you have so much you're doing to bring joy into people's lives. I believe that men are that they might have joy. And I really and truly just want to contribute to people being joyful. Yeah, thank you so much. So Lane, give our listeners... Um, your information, how they can get a hold of you. Again, give them the name of the book and maybe your Instagram. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your support. Um, yes, my book is called It's Time, Living a Full and Joyful Life with Depression and Anxiety. It's a long title, so I tell people just to Google my name. You have to Google my middle initial because there's another author with the same name, but it's Elaine H. I said it's like in home, Quinn. 
And then also I have a blog that you can go to. And it's again, my initials or my name, elainehquinn.com. And I write monthly blog posts about, um, you know, mental health, good mental health and finding joy in life. So I'd love it if you could join me on my blog. And um, also you can go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon, other booksellers for my book. Oh, great. And do you have an Instagram page yet? I do. And in fact, I'm just updating it right now. So okay. yeah, I'm on Instagram, Elaine H. Quinn also. Okay, great. Oh, well, great. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you being here and sharing all this with us. Oh, thank you, Candace. I'm just so excited to help people and to make everybody's lives better. Thanks. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you for joining Whole Complete Self Podcast where we help you have a joyful life. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Thank you.